Lord, we thank you again for your word that it is uh, holy, that it is something that washes us, that it's powerful, that it's like a sharp two-edged sword that divides between soul and spirit. And we thank you, Lord, that the power is in your word, not the person bringing it. The person bringing it's a vessel. And so Nancy offers herself and uh, to you as your vessel. And we pray now, Lord, that you would clothe her, you'd come upon her with fresh power. We also pray you'd fill her with peace, fill her spirit or mind with peace. And um, Lord, speak through her to us and build your church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So you may want to get your Bibles out. And our text for today is from 1 Corinthians 7, 6 to 7, and then 25 to 40. 1 Corinthians 7, 6 to 7, and 25 to 40. And just as a quick overview before I read the text, we are continuing in our series about how to live a consecrated life before the Lord. And we're taking a look at all the different aspects of a consecrated life, kind of like looking at the different facets of a diamond and then seeing what scripture has to say about living um, a life that is consecrated to the Lord uh, within a particular context. And so a few weeks ago, Pastor Dave spoke on consecrated sexuality. This past week, Pastor Jalisa gave a sermon on consecrated marriages. And so again, the theme for today is a consecrated life of celibacy and singleness. So let's see what Paul has to say about this. And again, the passage is 1 Corinthians 7, 6 to 7, and then 25 to 40. I say this as a concession, not a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has your own gift. One has this gift and another has that. And now drop down to verse 25. Now about virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of this present crisis, let me just pause here for a second. What was the crisis? It was rampant sexual immorality, including a temple dedicated to the goddess of love, which had up to a thousand temple prostitutes serving the worshipers. So Paul goes on to say, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you of this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. And those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For the world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. His interests are divided. 
An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs, and her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world and how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he may not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and if he feels he ought to marry, then he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But if the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is. And I think I, too, have the Spirit of God. This is the Word of God. Paul speaks of singleness as a blessing, which I find very hope-filled and encouraging. Even though I now view my life as incredibly blessed and hope-filled, I didn't always view it that way. When I was younger, singleness was often a challenge to me, and I had ongoing pressure from family and friends to get married. Uh, I was invited to be a part of various weddings, but always wondered if I would find a special someone. Um, I longed to be a part of a family and wished that I could have a loving family. I longed to have kids, love kids. And also with the church's high value on marriage, sometimes as a single, I felt a little bit pushed off to the side and somehow viewed as less than. Maybe some of you who are living a single life can identify with one or more of those feelings. But I am here to tell you that living a life as a single, dedicated to the Lord, is most definitely not less than in his eyes. As we discuss the text, I'm eager to share with you some of the lessons that I learned along the way that have helped me to get to the point where I'm from where I was just surviving life and going through the motions and getting to the point where I'm thriving as one of God's kingdom workers. And the lessons I learned, I think, are just as applicable to those who are married as to singles. And at the outset, before I get started, I'd like to highlight two things. Number one, the lessons that I learned... um, Over a span of time, walking with the Lord, they did not occur overnight, and they often occurred through a lot of pain and hardship. And the second thing I want to highlight before we start, and that even though the Lord has matured me a lot over the years compared to where I started off, I don't want to give the impression that I lead a perfect life because I don't. I still have stressors and insecurities and frustrations and disappointments and the like but whenever I whenever I hand those things over to the Lord and I ask for his help he supplies all of my needs every single time so leading a single life whether it's for a season or for a lifetime can be immensely blessed if that's the life that God is calling us to lead and it's a calling just like marriage is a calling so in both singleness and marriage we're most blessed if we're surrendered to the Lord 
and we follow his ways and we have intimacy with him. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. One of the things Paul stresses in this portion of the letter is an undivided devotion to the Lord. In both, um, well, actually, those of us who are single, we're privileged with the prospect of focusing most of our attention on the Lord, who in turn is extraordinarily devoted to us. As I studied this text, the Lord highlighted three themes to me that would contribute to our undivided devotion to him. The first is guarding against sexual temptations. The second is guarding against discontentment. And the third is putting Christ first place in our lives and growing in intimacy with him. So guarding against sexual temptations, guarding against discontentment, and putting Christ first place in our lives and growing intimacy with him. And again, I think these themes are relevant regardless of our marital status. So let's start by looking at the importance of guarding against sexual temptations. Paul opens chapter 7 by talking about all the sexual immorality that is occurring, and he says he wishes we could be like him. A common way the devil tries to prevent Christians from being effective vessels through whom he can work is to lure us into sexual sins. While sexual temptations can be challenging to all of us, they can be particularly challenging to those of us who are leading a celibate life. Back when I was in grad school, I felt tempted to watch pornography. What happened is I moved into a house uh, where the tenant forgot to cancel his cable subscription to the Playboy channel. Didn't tell my roommate about it, um, waited till she went to bed, and then I would access that channel to see what I could see out of sheer curiosity. By God's great grace and mercy, it didn't last long because the guy figured it out and canceled his subscription. And also, this is a time before Internet, if you can even imagine such a time, and so I didn't have that other source of uh, temptation. But I was struck how easily I was sucked into doing something that I knew was grievous to the Lord. And you know what? Lust is a deceiver. It promises fulfillment and excitement and joy. But you know what it brings? Self-loathing and despair and deep regret. The enemy will also try to convince those of us living a celibate life that we need to have a sexual relationship in order to experience intimacy. And that's a lie. We can have deep intimacy and we can um, be genuinely known and loved without having sex. In fact, I think this is one of the common reasons deceived Christians are supportive of same-sex marriage. And that they believe that those who are same-sex attracted deserve to have sexual intimacy with a partner rather than being doomed to a life of singleness, deprivation, and loneliness. And that's a lie from the enemy of our souls. First, look at all the people who are living a single life, those people who have been widowed, those who have suffered through a divorce, those whom God has called to live a life of singleness. Are all of those people... Destined to a life of misery and loneliness? No. As a person who is single and celibate, I can tell you I lead a very fulfilled, gratifying, purpose-filled life. I am not bored, I am not lonely, and I am not deprived. 
I also have seven friends who have suffered through a divorce or have suffered through um, losing their spouses within the last 10 years or so. So all of these widows have chosen to remain single and all of them are sold out to the Lord. They too are surviving and not they too are not just surviving life but they are thriving as they seek the Lord and are committed to his ways and seek to extend his kingdom. And you know what? That's the key. Life isn't about us or our fulfillment or our gratification. We live in a society that idolizes self. When we start to live a life that God has called us to lead, that's when we begin to thrive instead of just survive. In John 10.10, he tells us that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. The Lord's precepts aren't restrictive. They're life-giving. We have two options in life. We can either cooperate with the enemy of our soul, or we can cooperate with the Lord. When we cooperate with the Lord and surrender and submit to his ways, that's when he will give us the tools and the will to overcome any temptation in our life. And that's great news. And it's also great news, like when we do mess up in sin, which we all do, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he forgives us our sins and purifies us from all unrighteousness. Our Jesus is in the redemption and restoration business. Amen. <laughs> As we guard against sexual temptations, I think it is imperative to take a proactive approach. So if you could take a handout that was placed near you, and if you don't have one, you can maybe raise your hand, and then someone's going to come around, hopefully, and there's maybe one right there. There's some. Thank you, Pastor Jalisa. And so there's a two-sided handout. One says tips on gaining victory over sexual temptation. So let's look at that side first. And just due to time constraints, I'm not going to go over all this in detail. I'm just going to highlight a few things. So at the top of the list is intentionally strategizing how to maintain sexual purity. In other words, figure out what your weakness is and then figure out how to guard against it. One of the things that I've done in my life is I have a zero-tolerance policy. I don't think about sexual sins. I do not fantasize about sexual sins. I don't click on, I don't read, I don't watch anything that has to do with sexual sins. And so that just removes a whole host of temptations that I could get sucked into by doing that. Another thing that I do every single day, I ask the Lord at the beginning of the day, any time that I am off the mark by my words, my thoughts, my actions, give me a quick court quick correction so that I can get right back on the mark again. And he does that. And the other thing I want to highlight, the last thing off this page, and that is to be hyper aware of what or whom we are allowing to disciple us. We are all discipled by something. And so whatever we're spending the most time with, whoever we're spending the most time with, that is what is discipling us. So what are we allowing to disciple us? Are we just allowing um, Netflix or social media are friends with a secular bent? Are we allowing the Lord and his word, the Holy Spirit? Are we allowing um, mature believers to um, disciple us? So it's just something to give some food for thought. 
So, again, you can read through the rest of this at your leisure, and I suspect many of you have um, suggestions that you could add to this list. And I just encourage you to share that with other people, even after the service. There's such a... um, tendency not to talk about things of a sexual nature or talk about struggles with pornography or whatever but man why not bring it into the light so then it loses its power and then we can talk about things that we find successful or helpful in guarding against temptation so we can build each other up and live consecrated lives to the lord So I'd like to move on now to the second theme the Lord highlighted to me, which would contribute to our undivided devotion to the Lord, and that's guarding against discontentment. In verses 26 and 27, Paul says, Because of this present crisis, I think it's good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. To me, this text speaks of being content with our current life situation. We can certainly share our dreams and our hopes with the Lord, but then we leave our future into his very capable hands. One of the things that has helped me to lead a life of contentment is I choose not to dwell on what I do not have. Instead, I choose to focus on the good things in my life and the way the Lord is blessing me. And then I give thanks to him for those things. If I start to feel sad or discontent about something in my life, then I bring it to the Lord. I say, Lord, you know, I'm really feeling sad about this or this is kind of depressing. And I ask him to minister to me. And he does. He is so good at answering those kinds of prayers. And for me, oftentimes he'll bring me to scripture. And it's just the right thing. And it totally changes my mindset. And then once I begin to feel peace again as I, dis- or as I process this with him and his joy returns to my heart, then I no longer need to feel, then I no longer have this need to um, focus on what is making me sad to begin with, then I can return to my attitude of gratitude. I'd like to say that this is the way that I've always lived my life, but sadly that is not true particularly during the years before I surrendered my life to Jesus, I led a life of discontentment. Additionally, I was very worldly, and I tried to find meaning in life through achievement and academia and sports and um, through excelling in my career. But none of those things cured my ongoing depression or anxiety or loneliness or lack of purpose in life. I also try to find fulfillment and joy through doing fun things as often as possible. But that only brought temporary relief. So here I am, I'm successful, and I'm trying to fill my life with as many fun things as possible, but I'm not fulfilled. Why not? Terry Wardle, who is a um, gifted um, pastor and writer, and he's the director of a large healing prayer ministry. He has an interesting insight about this. He describes two tables in life from which we can eat. We can eat from the table of the world, or we can eat from the table of the Lord. The table of the world is filled with worldly pleasures like status and popularity and accolades and achievement and material things, 
and entertainment and sexual pleasures and the like. The problem is, is that even though we have a limitless supply of food from this table, we will never have enough, even if we gorge on it, because it is filled with empty calories. We constantly have to go back to that table to eat more and more and more, trying to get fulfilled, and we never will. The food from the table of the world is appealing and is tasty, I mean, that's why people are drawn to it, right? That's why they get sucked into worldly pleasures, because it is tasty and it is appealing. And it does provide some fulfillment, but it's only temporary. It does not provide the peace and fulfillment and soul joy or meaning for which we all long. In fact, Psalm 16:4 tells us that those who run after other gods will increase their sorrows. I think we can all think of people um, who have, are famous and are rich and alike, and they've tanked because they were running after the wrong things and their lives bottomed out. That's why I was always hungry and discontented. I need to continually achieve more, continually try to do things to get more accolades, continually trying to do things to prove my worth to myself and to other people. Another problem with the table of the world is that our acceptance is performance-based. So if we succeed or we fit in, we're welcomed. But if we fall short and we don't live up to certain expectations, then we can be disinvited from that table, rejected, canceled. So there's no security, no lasting fulfillment at this table. So now let's take a look at the table of the Lord. Jesus tells us in John 6:35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. When we eat from the table of the Lord, we will be completely satisfied. Do you believe that? Yay, so do I. <laughs> We are told in Psalm 34, 8 and 9, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And fear the Lord, you as holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. Not to mention that we have the ultimate security and acceptance when we eat from his table, because he promises never to leave us or forsake us, and his love for us is higher than the heavens. So my wonderment is this. If we have discontentment in our lives, or if we have this feeling like we constantly need more in order to be satisfied, or if we have this internal war going on between our flesh and our spirit, is it possible that we're eating from the wrong table? I have another wonderment. Is it possible that consciously or unconsciously we hold the view that what God has to offer us from his table isn't enough? Jesus tells us in Matthew 16, 24, and 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And ironically, 
when we lose our life for his sake, the byproduct is deep fulfillment and inner peace and sense of purpose and contentment and soul joy, even in the midst of significant hardships. Those of us who are currently unmarried, we can experience a deep sense of contentment and fulfillment as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and as we eat from his nutrient-rich table, including the meat of his word. The third theme highlighted to me is putting Christ first place in our lives and growing in intimacy with him. And I believe that is the key to be able to guard against sexual sins and discontentment as well as leading a life of undivided devotion to the Lord. The problem is, of course, that there are many things in this world that compete for that number one spot. Or try to lure us away from having intimacy with him. In verses 29 to 31 in our text for today, Paul reminds us the world in its present form is passing away. And among the things he suggests there is that we should not be engrossed by the things of the world that we use. One of the primary weapons that the enemy uses to keep us away from growing in intimacy with the Lord is distraction. He will work overtime to steal our attention away from the Lord. So it might be helpful for us to think about what engrosses us during our discretionary time. I can tell you what used to engross me was watching television and playing video games. That used to be my favorite way of chilling out after a long day of work. And over time, the Lord impressed upon me. He wanted me to cut back on those things. And I resisted. Why did I resist? Because I enjoyed what I was doing. And I'm grateful to say that the Lord had mercy on me, and he continued to hammer that point home. And I'm really sorry to say that I resisted for almost two years. He just kept hammering and hammering and hammering. And I finally got to the point where I said, Lord, I am really sorry, but I do not have the will or the desire to give these things up because I enjoy what I'm doing. And so I'm asking that you would decrease my interest in watching television and playing video games. And he did. Supernaturally. And so now I watch very little television. I haven't played video games in years. And you know what the interesting thing is? My life is so much better because of it. All of a sudden, I've freed up all this time that I can do things that are edifying to me and to other people, build me up in my faith and the like. So what engrosses you during your discretionary time? I invite you just for a sec to close your eyes and ask the Lord to show you what most captivates what most captivates your attention during your free time and while your eyes are still closed you might also ask him if there's any way he would like you to modify your free time Personally, I am struck time and again how often I can be so resistant to doing something that the Lord's asking me to do, but then when I do do it, 
my life is so much better. He actually knows what is best for us and what will help us to thrive. Another question we might ask ourselves is to whom do we turn when we need advice, support, encouragement, or whatever? It is so tempting for us to go to people first before going to the Lord because we all have a need for human intimacy. And for those of you who are married, I would think that there might be a temptation at times anyway to go to your spouse first for advice or encouragement before going to the Lord. Or seeking intimacy with your spouse first before seeking intimacy with the Lord. We all have this desire to be seen and known and validated and loved. And this is one of the things that singles can struggle with. We wonder how on earth God alone could possibly supply all of our needs. And so we end up filling our time with people and things that make us feel happy and secure. And then we think we have security in those things or those people until something is taken away. Or maybe someone we were heavily reliant on lets us down in a profound way. And then our world starts to crumble. And then we realize that we do not have the security or the stability we thought we had. Prior to me being born again, which was sadly well into my adulthood, I went to people first before seeking um, help from the Lord. Until... The Lord did a number of things in my life to help me to put him in the number one place. And just as one example, after I finished grad school, I moved back to Grand Rapids four years later, and I started to work full-time again. And even though I had achieved some significant accomplishments, gotten some awards, I was a mess emotionally, physically, and spiritually. I was in the process of um, dealing with the aftermath of a brain injury, The brain injury triggered uh, traumatic memories from my past, and I was overwhelmed with flashbacks. I had um, debilitating 24-7 head pain and debilitating fatigue, and I didn't know how on earth I was going to return to full-time work. I had two ruptured discs in my back and had chronic sciatic nerve pain, needed major back surgery. My best friend moved out out of the state, I sadly was um, oftentimes dealing with suicidal ideation. And then a church that I joined, I joined a new church after I moved back to Grand Rapids, and I knew some of the people casually, but I knew no one well. So in short, I had no one that I could talk to. I was in high need, but had no one to go to except for the Lord. And you know what? That ended up being the best thing that could have happened to me because it forced me to go to him. Sometimes Jesus will use our suffering to mature us and to refocus our attention back on him. It was a rugged road, but he was so consistently faithful and loving and answering all of my prayers and giving me strength and pulling me out of the pit time and again and supplying all of my needs. And actually, this is one of the major turning points in my life where my faith and trust in Jesus dramatically increased because he proved himself to me a thousand times over, literally. 
I am not at all suggesting that we shouldn't go to people for help or advice or discernment or whatever because the Lord encourages to be a support to one another, and I certainly go to other people. But when I put the Lord in first place, I go to him first, it provides me with a great deal of stability and security because he's the rock on which I stand. When you think about it, isn't it perplexing that we would go to fallible humans first before going to the most incredible, loving, consistent, infinitely wise, all-knowing counselor and friend that we could ever have? He is not fickle. His love and grace and mercy have no bounds. When we mess up, he is quick to forgive us when we confess our sins. When we are down and in a dark place, he's the one that lifts up our head and pulls us up out of the mud and the mire. He fills us with his joy and peace, and he is perfectly trustworthy, and he's available 24-7, and he's free of charge. <laughs> Boom. James tells us in James 4.8, come near to God. And he'll come near to you. If I had only known early on in my life how trustworthy and faithful and faithful and gracious our God is, I would not have spent so much of my adult life trying to do things my own way and falling short over and over and over again. Going back to our text in verses 36 to 38, Paul is essentially saying that we all have our own calling Some of us are called to a married life. Some of us are called to a life of singleness. And both options are blessed by the Lord. And Paul is also saying that it's possible that a life of singleness can be even more blessed because those of us who are single are freed up from family obligations and concerns so that we can live in an undivided devotion to the Lord. The biggest change in my life occurred when I surrendered to the Lord And the Holy Spirit began to transform me from the inside out. And since that time, he has richly blessed my life with meaning and fullness and purpose and contentment and joy and peace and inner strength and stability. All as I keep my eyes fixed on him, rather than all the problems swirling around me, of which there are plenty. He meets my every need, even in blessing me with things I never even asked for. He has blessed me with wonderful, spiritually strong friends, an awesome church family, children in my life, integration into various families, quiet times with him each day to strengthen me in my relationship with him, and purpose-filled and gratifying kingdom work. He is my strength and my protector, my provider, my guide, my friend, my papa, my master, And he ongoingly lavishes me with his grace and love. For those of you who do not yet experience the Lord in that way, let's take a look at that, um, the other side of the handout that you were given at the beginning of the service. That's tips on growing in intimacy with the Lord. And these are some of the things that I've implemented over time to grow in intimacy. And of course, at the top of the list is to die to ourselves and fully submit to the Lord in his ways. We need to be born again. Because it's, we can't do this in our own strength. It's the Holy Spirit that transforms us from the inside out. 
Um, and we do, it's actually when we are born again, it is an ongoing process because the Lord will highlight little things to us that we still have our little fists around and that we don't want to relinquish control. And so it still is an ongoing process. One of the, um, for the next point, one of the most transformative prayers that I have prayed over the last few years is that I regularly ask the Lord to consume me. And I've noticed just by asking that prayer, asking the Lord that, that in the words of the hymn, the ways of the world are growing strangely dim. Or the things of the world are growing strangely dim. And I'm being drawn more and more to put my focus on him. Another prayer that I pray daily along with that one is that I ask the Lord to increase my faith. So every day I pray, Lord, may my faith today be stronger than it was the day before. And those two prayers alone have done a massive job of transformation in my life, just praying those prayers. Another thing um, I'd like to highlight is just tithing time to the Lord each day. I try to tithe my best time, which is first thing in the morning, and that is where I get my fuel for the day. He fills me to overflowing so then I can um, put out. For those of you who do not tithe time to the Lord and you're thinking about maybe doing it, I'd encourage you to start with a goal that you know you can maintain. For me, I started with a super small goal of five minutes. I was like, okay, I know I can give five minutes to the Lord a day. This was way back in the day. And he will organically expand that time. Two more things I want to highlight. One, that we fill our minds with things of Christ. When um, I'm doing mundane things around the house, whether it's cleaning or getting ready in the morning or uh, making a meal or whatever, I put on things in the background that will um, encourage me in my faith and build me up in my faith. Listening to sermons or talks. I listen to scripture being read. I use the Dwell app, which I really enjoy. Um, or I'm memorizing scripture. And so throughout the day, rather than just having my mind focus on junk and on productive things, I'm focusing on things of the Lord. And the last thing I want to highlight off this sheet is develop an attitude of gratitude. God is the giver of all good gifts. And it's so easy for us to focus internally on our own problems or focus on all the problems of the world around us and miss all the ways in which we have this goodness right at our disposal and how he's blessing us over and over and over again. And so, and it also provides for me constant touch points with him throughout the day as I give thanks to him for whatever. And there's one more thing to highlight within the same section, the, the second sub-point. When we give thanks to the Lord, especially when we least feel like it, we shift the spiritual atmosphere and push back the forces of darkness. And that really makes a difference. Before I close, I'd like to invite you to spend just a few more seconds with the Lord. And ask him if there's anything in your life that you haven't surrendered to him yet. And if he does highlight something to you, consider giving him the control of it. Like I mentioned in the beginning, he knows what's best for us and what will help us to thrive. So let me pray for you for just a moment. Lord, we come before you, our all-loving creator and master, and we ask right now that you would shine your spotlight into our hearts and minds to see if there's any area of our life where we are still resistant to give you the control. 
And if you do highlight something, would you please increase our faith and trust in you so that we can willingly release our control to you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing our prayers. I would like to close with a brief prayer from Paul that Paul prayed for the church at Philippi in Philippians 1, 9 to 11. And he starts by saying, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen.